I'm sure most of you are aware that this week is Thanksgiving. Is anybody not on that, not on that schedule? And I just stressed you out like, oh, Thanksgiving, what? I've got to find a turkey and somehow make it. Um, but isn't that an interesting name for a holiday? That is just like, apparently, that took Ashley in the beginning. Uh, <laughs> uh, but isn't it, it, Andy, I'd be sorry. I don't want to single anybody out. <laughs> isn't it? But it's a weird name for a holiday, I think. I mean, Thanksgiving. It's like a verb or a noun or, you know, kind of verb, noun, both of them. Uh, giving thanks. I'm curious how many of you um, have some sort of practice of giving thanks around Thanksgiving time. Maybe just raise your hand if you have a specific practice that you do. So I see like three, four, four people. Isn't that interesting though? Thanksgiving is the name of the holiday. And less than half of us uh, do something specific to give thanks. And maybe it kind of comes spontaneously, you don't plan it. Um, maybe it's something like around Thanksgiving dinner. It's like, hey, everyone, share something you're thankful for this year, or maybe you do it on your own. Um, but it's, a, it's supposed to be a time of giving thanks, but oftentimes we actually fail to give thanks. Actually, we kind of get stressed about all of it. Um, and they're kind of actually, you know, I'm not going to try to dive into your family meals, but maybe when you get together with your, your family, it's kind of stressful. And you're like, oh, you know, so-and-so's going to be there, so-and-so's going to be there. I haven't talked to this person since last Thanksgiving, um, and that, there's a reason for that. Um, last year and this year, Katie has done this little like gratitude turkey with Hudson, and you should—you probably saw it on the wall this past Thursday. I always think he's kind of funny because the the eyes are like actually it's kind of like Ezra's eyes, just wide open eyes staring at all of us, uh, um, and or he's like realizing like they're coming to get me. But uh, he starts off with no feathers, and then uh, she adds feathers slowly, and she says, "Hudson, what's something you're thankful for?" And then you write it on the feather, and it gets. You know, he grows his little feathers on the back of it. And it gets more and more over time. And, you know, it's the typical roundup of Hudson's favorite things. The first things that went on there were daddy's lawnmower, my toy lawnmowers, food, the basement, oatmeal, bears, vents. He loves vents. No, you didn't know that. Leaf sucker truck, because we're waiting for the leaf sucker truck to come and drive by our house. And Katie's always a little dismayed, wondering... What am, she's always asking herself, when am I going to make it on the turkey? I was kind of on the first round. She's always like, she's, she's kind of like, Hudson, what are you thankful for? Okay, this, any, anything else? Uh, any, any people maybe that are in your life? Daddy, oh, Ezra. Uh, you know, so he just, she's always, you know, by the, she usually gets added on when the turkey's in about full plumage. That's a word. Uh, but let's just take a moment. If you're like me, uh, you have a hard time being thankful. I, don't, I, I just naturally go to other things. So share in your groups, um, what do we do instead of being thankful? You know, if we're supposed to be giving thanks, what are things we do instead of giving thanks? Just share in your groups, and then there'll be a second question after you share a bit of that. What do we do instead of being thankful? On Thanksgiving, or just in general? Uh, just in general, what do we do instead of being thankful or giving thanks?
So we're kind of getting into, like, we have lots of ways that we can live with unthankful lives, without gratitude. And I'm sure you've noticed that Thanksgiving and gratitude is a huge theme in the Bible. I'm just going to give you three samples, and actually Connor already read, I was like, where'd you go? (laughs) Connor actually read one already, we didn't plan on it, but Psalm 100 was our call to worship. It said, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, and for the past two years, I've been on a bit of a gratitude journey. And I want, I've, the things I've read have just pointed to the... Uh, the importance of gratitude and thanksgiving in our lives. And so I wanted to take this week, and we'll probably take this week every year to return to this theme of thanksgiving because it's so powerful. And my journey began with reading some uh, guys who would call themselves uh, Christian brain scientists. So they're people that kind of study the brain or getting insights from the brain, and then they're seeing, what does this have to do with my relation with God? What does this tell us about relating to God? And what they talk about is that our brain seeks joy, and gratitude is the key to joy, that if we want 
to have joy, to experience joy in our relationships with God, with other people. Gratitude is the key to that. It's the, it's the road to it. One, of the, one quote from one of the books is, the first step for increasing joy is establishing effective gratitude practices. Gratitude is the on-ramp for joy. And so if you wanted to kind of sum up what I've seen over the past couple of years on this gratitude journey I've been on, is gratitude is the on-ramp for joy. That gratitude is the key to how much joy we have. And then as I read this from these Christian brain scientists, and then I started seeing other people making the connection between joy and gratitude. Uh, a book um, called 1,000 Gifts, the author writes, As long as thanks is possible, then joy is always possible. Joy is always possible. Whenever, meaning now. Wherever, meaning here. Later on, she says, giving thanks is the way into joy because thanksgiving is the way we enter into God. And then I also notice people connecting ingratitude with pride and entitlement. So gratitude is connected with joy. Ingratitude is connected with pride and entitlement. One, uh, the, the daily devotional I did last year, one of the days said, the DNA of joy is thankfulness. Have you noticed that entitled, complaining people don't happen to be very joyful? In 1,000 Gifts, that book I mentioned before, she said, Pride slays thanksgiving. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets what he deserves. The key to joy is gratitude, but pride kills gratitude, and thus pride kills joy. The pride of entitlement says, I deserve better. I deserve more. I'm not getting what I deserve. And why this is important is because gratitude is the quickest and easiest path to joy because it's the quickest and easiest path to experiencing God, his awareness, knowing who he actually is and what he's been doing in our lives. But where did all this come come from? Why is gratitude hard for us? Uh, Well, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And if we're asking where did anything come from, you could almost trace all of, actually you can, all of our relational problems with God and with other people and with the world can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3. You just see it all right there uh, in the first three chapters of the first book of the Bible. And so God, Genesis chapters 1 and chapter 2, God creates. He gives the gift of life and creation. He creates human beings and says, this is, everything in this world is for you to enjoy that. And the, number, the only rule is that you keep me as God. You don't become God. I'm God. Uh, I created you. You're dependent on me and reliance on me. That's how you've been created. And so God has this relationship with the first humans, Adam and Eve, where he's their maker, he's their creator, he's their father, uh, he's the king, the lord of their life. And a rela- right relationship with him is to receive from him what he gives and in, in so doing to reflect what he is like back to him, that he loves us, enjoys us, uh, is you know, patient with us, and so we love him and enjoy him, and then we reflect that out to other people. So the relationship we enjoy vertically with God uh, of love is then reflected back to him of love and reflected horizontally out to others. And in Genesis 3, it all gets changed. Let me just read these uh, 13 verses. We're not going to go through them in depth, but just to point out a few things. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, 
And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And I just want to more, more so focus on the first uh, couple verses where the serpent, this is Satan coming in the form of a, a creature, a serpent, a, a snake, and, and basically is asking them, can God be trusted? Uh, he, he gave you this garden, and he said, you can't eat of the trees? And then she's like, oh, no, no, it's just the one tree we can't eat of. And it's like, because if we do it, we're going to die. And he's like, oh, you won't surely die. Like, so in other words, God hasn't told you the truth. Uh, God isn't trustworthy. Uh, he doesn't have your best interests in mind. And actually, he, the serpent says, you won't surely die. Why did God tell you that? Because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He's, he's keeping Godness, uh, you know, di- the di- divineness to himself. Uh, and if you want that, you can go eat of that tree. But he's just holding out on you. He's holding back. He's holding something good from you. And so can you see the pride and entitlement that he's putting into them? You deserve better. You deserve better than what God's given you. He's holding out the best for himself. And you can be like God without God. Eat of this tree, the one he said not to eat of, and that will get you something better. So that's that story. And then I want us to fast forward um, thousands and thousands and thousands of years after that to uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. And this is where a man named uh, Paul, who was persecuting Christians, uh, he thought it was a, Jesus was a fraud uh, and a liar. And so he's trying to kill his followers who he thinks are spreading lies and taking people away from uh, their God, the one true God. And then he has this experience where uh, Jesus appears to him alive and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Referring to the body of believers. And then he, Paul has this radical uh, conversion experience where he turns to Jesus, comes, uh, was a hater and a murderer of Christians, turns to become one of them, one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And so he writes this letter, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. Uh, and this is kind of like watching, going through Genesis 3, like when you have movies, and you can watch the movie, and then you have special features where it's like, read, watch the director's commentary of it, so you watch the movie, and you have the director having this voiceover, like, here's what happened here, here's why we did this, here's why I did that. And Romans chapter 1 um, verses 18 to 25 is almost like going back and reading Genesis 3, but now with the director's commentary um, with Paul, the Apostle Paul as our, our commentator. In chapter uh, 1 verse 18 uh, says this, uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And so something has been revealed. God's revealed his wrath, which is his uh, settled opposition toward all things that are basically anti-God, ungodliness, unrighteousness. This is people uh, being anti-God and anti-God's ways. And it further describes people as 
uh, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, what, what truth is being suppressed? What, are, what kind of truth are we suppressing? Verses 19 through 20 answer, answer that. He says, uh, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And so the truth that's being suppressed is the truth about God, his invisible attributes, who he is, what he's like, what he does. And it, he says this can clearly be seen in creation. It should be so obvious. Uh, John Calvin, a pastor from the 16th century, said we should be able to read the created world like a book uh, to learn about God. But the problem is our minds are darkened, so we do not read it as we ought to. It doesn't point us to God. Psalm 19 talks about uh, the creation is shouting the praises of God, that singing out that we should be able to learn what God is like just from looking at our world. But what we're told is that uh, we suppress the truth. The truth about God is out there. Knowledge of Him is out there, but it's suppressed. But then he says in the end of verse 20, so they are without excuse. Uh, because knowledge of God is plain. It's readily available. It's easily seen. Uh, because God has made it plain. He's revealed Himself in creating this world and creating us. God has already revealed Himself. That's apart from having this book. This is, uh, uh, we would call this book Special Revelation. Uh, and we would call the creation general revelation. That is, the revelation of God himself revealing himself to everybody in general. And then this was God revealing himself uh, in a special way, special revelation of, we should be able to read the creation like a book, but since we can't, God sent people to give us this book so that we can now have a book to read. But it's saying if people don't know him, they're without excuse. And we can't plead ignorance. Truth is out there, but it is suppressed. And then he talks about three exchanges that we make. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him, we'll return to that, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts. <coughs> Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So the first exchange is, in, the, um, at the, in verse 23, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Meaning, uh, instead of glorifying God, worshiping God, the immortal creator, we instead turn to created things and worship them. We still do it. They, people in this time uh, had actual little wooden statues and, and carved stone statues, um, but they also had other things they worshiped too. Money, uh, sex, power, whatever it is, um, substances. And we do the same thing now. We worship created things. We look to them to give us what was meant to be given to us by God. And so we exchange the glory of God for created things. Verse 24 is a second exchange. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So they exchange the truth about God. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. We exchange the glory of God for created things. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. And then uh, verse 25, I've got my labels mixed up here. So uh, does somebody notice an exchange that I missed? There's two of them. Ooh, all right. So the rest of the verse 25. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and exchange uh, worshiping and serving the creator for worshiping and serving the creature. So exchange the glory of God for created things, exchange the truth about God for a lie, 
exchange worship and serving the Creator for, wor- for worshiping and serving the creature, created things. And so this is what happens back in Genesis 3. It's almost like what Paul's writing here is like, look what you have, and you gave it up. And for what? You had the glory of God. You had the you know, one and only God walking around this garden with you. You got to talk to Him and walk with Him and experience Him. You exchanged the glory of Him for created things. You exchanged the truth about who He is, all the goodness of what, who He is, all the beauty of who He is, for a line. You exchanged worshiping and serving Him, the Creator, for worshiping and serving created things, the serpent, each other, the street, whatever it is. And look at this. You, you, we gave all that up. And for what? And verse 22 said, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Think, we think we're making a good trade. We think this is a good deal, exchanging this thing for that thing. But thinking we're wise, we're fools. We think we know it's best. And if the truth about God wasn't being respect, uh, suppressed, we would never make such an idiotic exchange, is what Paul is saying. Why did you exchange that for this? That's dumb. What are you doing? But this is what happens to us. It's what happened in Genesis 3. This is what happens to us every day, that we exchange God, worshiping Him, serving Him, seeing Him for created things. We exchange the truth about Him for a lie. So if anti-godness is the fruit, he said, ungodliness, unrighteousness, anti-godness, I'm calling it, is the fruit, what's the root of that? Like That's the fruit going on the tree. But what's down in the roots that's creating that fruit, that's growing that fruit up? Jesus said, uh, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. That's a Things in our life, the fruit is what's going on in our heart. What's the root of that? Why are we ungodly and unrighteous? Paul's saying because we give to created things, what ought to be given to God? Honor, thanks, worship, service. And we do that because we've exchanged God's glory for created things. And we exchange God's glory for created things because we suppress the truth about God and we exchange it for a lie. So notice in verse 21, I pointed out, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to Him. And so fundamental to our relationship with God is supposed to be giving thanks. That It's a, almost a synonym for praise, for worship, um, for exalting Him. They did not give thanks to Him. So let's simplify the, the fruit-to-root thing with a focus on ingratitude. Uh, they exchanged the truth about God for lies, which led to ingratitude, which led to ungodliness and righteousness. Lies about God leads us to be ungrateful to God which leads us to have ungodly, unrighteous lives. lives. So in your your groups, um, this doesn't have to be something personal you share about a lie you believe about God, but what are some lies we tend to believe about God? What are things that we tend to believe about God um, that aren't true? Let me just give you one example. Uh, That God is distant and uninvolved with our lives. Any lie we tend to live out uh, is... Uh, the opposite of what God has revealed himself to be. So what are some lies we tend to believe about God? Share with uh, in your groups. Yeah. 
religious things are confusing. All these things we've said, well, I'm assuming all these things we've said, because uh, I didn't hear what you said, but I asked that you to share lies. And so whatever you just said in your groups about, is a lie. It's not actually the truth, that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. Um, and it's just, what's amazing is that, what is God's response to this situation that we just outlined in Romans 1, that is a commentary on Genesis 3? What is his response to this situation? Back up to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. It's where this whole, um, you may have noticed that the Apostle says for or because of a lot. Uh, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. 19, for what can be known about God. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes. Verse 21, for although they knew God. So he's going through, here's the reason that's happened. Well, why did that happen? Here's the reason that happened. Well, uh, why did that happen? Because of this. Why did that happen? Because of this. Why did God do this? But it all starts back up in verse 16. And actually, that's not even the start. Um, because Paul says in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he's like, I want to come to this church in Rome. I want to preach the gospel to you. Why? Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why am I not ashamed of it? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And why is it that? For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, why is the righteousness of God revealed? Because, verse 18, because the wrath of God is revealed. Because we've made this stupid exchange of exchanging worship and serving and giving thanks to the Creator rather than the, uh, to the creation rather than to the Creator. And so this all, God's response to this situation that He's opposed to, His wrath, uh, we've done this exchange, His response to good news. Uh, I'm going to take care of this. I still want you. I'll take you back if you'll accept the thing that I'm offering to you, that you've messed all this all up. You've messed this whole relationship up. You've messed this world up. But guess what? I have good news. I will forgive you that you are unrighteous and ungodly, but the righteousness of God, I will give you my own righteousness. I'll declare you righteous. In, in chapter 4, he says, uh, God declares uh, the ungodly righteous. It's, well, what, is, what are you talking about? God declares people who are unrighteous to be righteous. That we are in our sins, rebelling against God, uh, giving thanks and worshiping and serving the creation rather than Him. And He says, "You guys are all ungodly and unrighteous." He doesn't say, "So you know, I mean, literally to hell with you, right?" That He doesn't say that, but He says, "Good news, I will declare you righteous, even though you've all done this. That this is how you've treated me. I will take you back. Good news, I have salvation." For you from the situation that you put yourself in, and so what's the what's true about God is that He is more loving and more gracious than we could ever 
imagine. There's two observations from this passage. One is that gratitude is is essential to our relationship with God, honoring God, glorifying God, loving God, liking God, enjoying God. Gratitude is essential to our relationship with God. It's it's part of the core of it. Secondly, the gospel is necessary because of ingratitude. Jesus paid the price for our ingratitude, that they did not give thanks to the Creator, and Jesus died for that ingratitude. And now we can say, well, thank God, notice, thank God that he did so, because now we can have a relationship with him. God's response to our ingratitude is to give us another thing to be thankful for. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? It's like, you guys are so ungrateful. Let me do another thing (laughs) to that you hey, give you another reason to be thankful for me. And so if the path away from God is exchanging the truth about God for lies about God, then the path back to God is exchanging lies about God for the truth about God. Does that make sense? The path away from God was exchanging truth for lies, therefore the path back is exchanging lies for truth, that we need to see him for who he is. And we do this by practicing gratitude, and gratitude is both a sign that we are healthy and it's the exercise by which we get healthy. Think about if you're like, I want to run a marathon. And that doesn't just happen. If you could run a marathon, well, maybe maybe you're not healthy mentally, but healthy physically uh, to be able to run a marathon, to be able to run that far. I'm sorry, I, I don't like running, so I didn't really mean that. <laughs> I like running after Frisbees, not just running at nothing. Um, but Okay, so if you want to be a runner, you have to practice running, right? Being able to run or being able to walk is a sign of health. I can walk around. I can do this. I can do that. But you need to do that thing in order to get to that place of health. And so if you want to be grateful, you have to practice gratitude. I want to share with you a, a story to illustrate this that uh, occurred, let's see, how many years have I been married? It's 2011. We're in 2022, so it's about to be 11 years, right? Yeah, that's math. Kate is a math, the math teacher here, so she keeps track of how long. No, so about to be married 11 years. Uh, our honeymoon we spent in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, my uncle offered us uh, one of his timeshares, said, pick you know, this beach or this place or this place. And we're like, we don't really like laying on the beach. We're like, hiking, let's go to Sedona. It was December, and everyone was like, oh, I'm sorry, it's so cold. But it was like 40 or 50 degrees, and we just got married. Like, not outside, but we took our pictures outside. Katie's in her dress. It was, like, December 10th. And we were like, this is awesome. This is, like, traveling back in time two months. Everyone's like, sorry, it's cold. It was beautiful. But when we drove into uh, Sedona, the town we were going to stay in, it was dark. And we drove in, went into our little condo timeshare thing. And then uh, when we woke up and we drove back out to hike, all of a sudden we realized, like, what we had driven past when we came in, that there's all these... uh, crazy hills and mountains and cliffs, and they're all just beautiful red, and they, because it was snowing, you know, there was this snow on top of these red cliffs. And what I realized in that moment is all of that was there when we drove in. It was just in the dark. And if we could have seen it, we would have been as amazed as we were the next morning when we could see it. And there's a couple authors I've read who talk about our journey of the Christian life is less a journey of accomplishment and more of awareness. Becoming aware of what God is really like, of what he's done. And that so often we're living in the dark. We're driving by this beautiful, all this beautiful stuff that God, about God and about what he's done, but we're in the dark. And if we just could see it, 
if we could ha- just have the lights turned on, if we just weren't suppressing the truth, if we weren't exchanging the truth for lies, we would be have this awareness of how amazing he is. So I want to give you this big idea and then end with three ways to apply it. Gratitude opens our eyes to see that God is for us and with us. Gratitude opens our eyes to see that God is for us and with us. Gratitude opens our eyes to see that God is for us and with us. And we tend to live the opposite. We tend to see God as distant or against us or both. God's distant and he's against us. He's like a, I don't know, a bad manager or a bad uh, parent who only comes around to correct us and yell at us and tell us the things that we've done wrong and then they say, get it together. And they go back to doing their work. God's distant and he's against us. But what's actually true is that gratitude uh, opens our eyes to see that God is for us and with us. And gratitude is hard for us because we believe lies about God. We believe he's distant that he's against us, that he's not involved in our lives, that he doesn't want what's best for us, that he isn't good, he isn't gracious, he isn't grace and in control. And practicing gratitude opens our eyes to see what's true about God, that he's with us and that he's for us. And I want to give you three gratitude practices. And they all have G in them, get excited. Two G words, actually. So the first is general gratitude. And it's kind of just gratitude in general for what happens in our lives, what comes into our lives. General gratitude. And the passage I have in mind for this is Luke um, 6.35-36. Let me turn there quick. I marked it. 6:30, Luke 6.35-36. Suspense build as I get the page. It says this, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. So, why would we be called sons and daughters of God if we did for people expecting nothing in return? It's like you know, you're like a chip off the old block. You really have your you know your family trait there. I can see your father in you. Why would giving to people without expecting in return show us to be in God's family to share His family characteristics? He says, "For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil." Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. As Creator, God gives with no expectation of gratitude in return. He gives to even ungrateful people. He gives even evil people. That doesn't mean that's the response He desires. He wants our response to be giving thanks. But He gives to this whole world, to each of us. We're so ungrateful. There's so many things we don't see of what God has done for us. And yet He's still giving them because He doesn't give it with an expectation of return. He just does it. That's who he is. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's kind. And I have a picture for this and I have a picture for one of the other ones. I was thinking, I've shared this before, you probably heard the story of the, the guy who was caught in a flood. He's on top of his house and he says, God save me. And then this little canoe comes by and they say, hey friend, get in our canoe. And he's like, no, no, God's going to save me. And they're like, okay, roll away. Then a motorboat comes speeding in and they say, friend, Get in our motorboat. He says, no, no, God's going to save me. I'm trusting in him. Then a helicopter comes. You're about to die. Get up in our helicopter. We'll save you. No, no, God's going to save me. Go on ahead. And then when he gets before God, he says, well, where were you? God asked you to save me. And God I sent a canoe. I sent a motorboat. I sent a helicopter. And he said no to all of them. And so we can often be asking God, where are you? Even though throughout our entire life, every single day of every minute, even right now, he's giving us breath and life, and he's giving us you know, warmth and heat. And there's like 
a million things we could sit and try to be thankful to God for, and that we would miss it all. And so we might get to heaven and say, God, why didn't you, why were you against me? Why did you seem so distant? Why didn't you do anything for me? And you can say, well, I did all these, li- I don't even have time to list them. I mean, we have eternity. Let me take eternity and I'll list you all the things I did for you. And that's how long it will take. And so one thing you can consider doing is start a gratitude habit. And I mentioned a book called 1,000 Gifts. Uh, and this gal who wrote this book, someone challenged her, try to make a list of 1,000 things you can see that God has given you. And so I decided, I'm going to try that. And I've been working on it for over a year. My goal is to do it in a year. I have this little, just this little book. And when I remember it, I try to sit down at night or in the morning and just try to write down three things every day. And it might be something like, the clouds were really beautiful. It's like my favorite cloud formation or whatever. Or Hudson had so much fun trick-or-treating. Or today I, I shared with um, Bob and Connor, uh, Hudson, it was just so fun decorating Christmas tree. He was so happy. Those are little gifts, and all those things are just whipping by us every single day, and we just don't take the time to say, God, that was a, a gift. I don't deserve that, and I want to be grateful for that thing you gave me. So that's one thing you could do is a, a gratitude journal. Try to write, that's challenging, it doesn't have to be a time limit. Try to write 1,000 things starting now and so whenever you get it done and be like, I wrote down a thousand things over the past year or two years or three years. And it gets after you get past the first like forty, it gets really hard. I'm just gonna let you know. Because we can be like, well, I'm thankful for my shoes and <laughs> thankful for this. And by the time you get past all those things, you're like, what else is there? And there is more, I promise you that. Secondly is uh, I'm calling grace gratitude. There's general gratitude and there's grace gratitude. All of it is actually grace, but this one in particular is when you sin when you do something you aren't supposed to, that God tells you not to do, it's an opportunity for gratitude to say, not to hide from God, not to clean yourself up, not to try to get it back together, just promise you'll do better. It's just, you can just come to him and say, I have not loved you. I've not loved other people. And I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And thank you that you do forgive me. So that's gratitude for grace. And if you're like me, you sin a lot. Uh, so maybe you're better than me, but if you're like me, you sin a lot. And so when you sin is an opportunity for gratitude, when others sin is also an opportunity for gratitude. Because when somebody does something annoying or hurtful or whatever to us, I'm like, I didn't like that. You can be grateful to God because you can say, how, consider how have I done that same thing to God or other people? And then we could say, God, thank you for forgiving me for the times I did this. And that can the same thing they did to me, and that can help you let go. You know what? I'm no better than you. Actually, I'm probably worse. And so I can, you know, give be kind to you. So that's uh, this is helping us to see that God is for us and God is with us. Lastly, the most difficult one is grief, gratitude, and this is for the painful things in our life. And when you look back in your life, the things that didn't go as you wanted, that were traumatic painful, challenging, hard. Uh, one of the ways to heal from that is not to necessarily say, you know, thank you for that thing, God, but to ask, what can you be thankful for from that? What did God intend for you? What can you see that he used that for? Because the truth you can know is that God does not waste any of our pain, that he does something with it. But often, instead of seeing, here's what we often do, we see God through the lens of our circumstances, Instead, we need to see our circumstances through the lens of who God is. Does that make sense? Like, here's what's going on in my life, therefore God 
X, this means X, Y, and Z about God. We need to say, uh, here's what I know is true about God, therefore I know X, Y, and Z about my circumstances. Instead of seeing God through the lens of our circumstances, we need to see our circumstances through the lens of who God is. And God's intent is to use the pain and problems of our life to make us into the person that he wants us to be. I, I think the best, one of the best ways to sum it up is to say, uh, God is powerful enough to use bad for good. That the bad things in your life, God is powerful enough to use that bad for your good and other people's good. And one of the pictures, the picture I thought of for this, um, I don't know if I can read the whole thing, but you guys I'm sure are familiar with the, the poem Footprints, where it's talking about, uh, this, my mom like had this on a little thing in our house, and this was like the exact image it had, it was, so that was interesting, but um, this man looking and seeing this beach that he's walking down or whatever, and there's always like, God was with him, there's two sets of footprints. And then he gets to God and says, but I saw some times where there's just one set of footprints. You weren't walking with me during that time. And God says, that's when I was carrying you. And oftentimes that's what we feel like. That hard time, where were you? Why weren't you there with me? And it's like God is with us and God is for us in those things. And that's not to say that God planned the pain or the hardship or the trauma that happened in your life. But God was with you in it, and he will use it for your good. He isn't against you in it. And I told you I was on, I've been on this gratitude journey. And it, what it does, I'm, actually I'm just going to read this quote from you here and tell you that this, uh, oh no, I lost the page because I took that out. Mm, let's see, God show us the page. Let me, ah, I did it, he did it. There it is, okay. So we can be grateful for that. So this is what he says. Gratitude opens us up to the presence of God. Gratitude is a password into our awareness of the presence of God. We specifically choose gratitude because it is the easiest and fastest path to connection. Because throughout scripture, God and his wisdom has always encouraged us to give thanks. Emmanuel, which that word means God with us, means that God is always with us and desires to interact with us in all situations. So two things they said right at the beginning. Gratitude opens us up to the presence of God. And that's what I've experienced in practicing gratitude, is seeing, well, you were there, God. You were there. You're, instead of it being like, well, there's like those four, five really cool things that happened over the course of my 36 years of life, and I really know you were in those. But instead, like, tuning into, you know, uh, radio stations are always broadcasting. The question is that we tuned into it. So God's always uh, broadcasting to us his love for us, the reason that we can be grateful, and it's whether we're tuning into it. And that's what I felt like I've experienced. And he says, gratitude is a password into our awareness of the presence of God. And the Christian life is less about achievement and accomplishment and more about awareness, becoming aware that how much God is with us and how much God is for us.